0: Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Chronicle. Today, we take a look at Black Lives Matter. My guest for that discussion is Ravi Perry, who's the chair, of the Department of Political Science at Howard University. And then we go to James Conker. He is a lifelong nuclear scientist who wants to tell the world that you can treat COVID-19 in the hospital as a therapy, not as a prevention, but with radiation. Hello Ravi, welcome to the broadcast. I'm so delighted that you're here. I have a question. I went through the 1960s in Washington, the terrible riots in 1968, after the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King. And we were very inspired, some of us, that we would
1: improve
0: race relations, that things would get dramatically better. Some things got better, but some things were forgotten by the 70s, and as the 70s rolled on, uh, things just went not back to the status quo, anti, but close to it. We had some very dramatic cosmetic changes, and people in high jobs, people on television, African American people, but underlying the poor remained poor, the hopelessness remained present, Is it going to be different this time?
1: Well, I think most uh, reasonable people hope the answer to your question is yes. Uh, And we do have some indication of why the answer in this case might be a yes. Uh, One of the things that we have seen that is similar to the era of the 60s, uh, really that began the 50s into the 70s that you described that we also see today is sustained activism at the local level um, in cities around the country, with people of all backgrounds, at all times of day, and that this has been going on now for several weeks, for several months, and throughout the entire summer. That's why, that's why we historically have caught some of those uh, uh, significant summers of 1954, 1955 with Emmett Till, 1963, uh, 1964, uh, and of course, 1965 with the Voting Rights Act summer. We we call a lot of these summers unique kinds of summers because they were effective at galvanizing the attention of many Americans finally toward the plight of the few, of the minorities in America. And uh, the one thing that also uh, uh, that I think that might say that this is a chance for us to think that this might be different this time, it might last a bit longer, is that there seems to be some reasonable support that correlates with this activism with support for Joe Biden. And I say that because what happened in the late 60s after the death of, of, of murder, rather, of Martin Luther King Jr. and and also of Malcolm X and the, of, of so many Black uh, Panther leaders in places like Chicago, uh, you had the, and, and after the presidency of, of Johnson, which of course many viewed as a moral failure because of the Vietnam War, You had Richard Nixon who came into office and Richard Nixon, who again, who had tried to run for president two cycles prior, finally won this time. And he rode a wave of of so-called law and order uh, 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 governance that really uh, was uh, governance that was directly targeting African-Americans for imprisonment.
0: Well, um, that's all true, but how is it going to be different this time? We have a new situation which is very troublesome, and that is the COVID-19 virus is affecting African-Americans and Hispanics disproportionately, not only in catching the virus and getting ill and dying, but also losing jobs, jobs that may never come back. A lot of the low-end jobs are closed down now, so there's no income. And then after that, they may not come back. There's no guarantee that we'll go back to being as we were before. In fact, I'm almost certain that we will not go back to being the way it was.
1: Sadly, I I think you're right. And the reason is because the virus uh, was not effectively contained here in this country, the richest country in the world that allegedly has the world's best medical facilities uh, and the world's best doctors. Uh, and we have not contained the virus. It's not because of lack of talent. It's because of lack of public safety, really, on behalf of national security, I would argue, on behalf of our government elected leaders at the top, uh, primarily uh, at, in the White House here in Washington, D.C., that has created these realities that has led to the substantive disproportionate deaths you discussed uh, and diagnoses. These diagnoses have hit my own black family, uh, including my brother, who is head of a family with two young children uh, in which he's in the hospitality industry and was laid off, did lose health insurance. So I certainly personally am aware of, of the real challenges of this disease faces. And the, the reason why I think this still, uh, the activism associated with the movement that has occurred as a result of the uh, protests in the murder of George Floyd uh, in Minnesota earlier this summer uh, and and continued throughout COVID. Uh, What's different this time is that um, in the 60s and 70s, again, as we began to shift into a new decade era, there was a splintering in the electorate as related to who the next president should be. And it seems to be um, this time around, and as a result, the progress that was being made in the 60s toward African-Americans and other minorities really waned a lot throughout the 70s. Um, and while Jimmy Carter came in and, and somewhat had opportunity to change a few things, one term, of course, as we know, in American politics is not enough often to cement a legacy. And so this time it's different, it seems, because every poll indicates that uh, subgroup after subgroup, whether it's uh, minorities or various uh, color, groups of color or whether it is uh, people who are first-time voters or people who have been voting for decades, that all of those groups, Joe Biden is winning. And that suggests that the, the horror that minorities are experiencing now as a result of the lack of government engagement in their lives will hopefully change with the new uh, presidency.
0: And it, how will it change in terms of giving opportunity to those who are, do not have the opportunity today Isn't the real challenge with education, you're an educator, you're head of a department at a great university, but most schools, for people without means are very inadequate. They can't afford to move to good areas with good schools or go to private schools. And the schooling is letting down the community. And unless we improve the schools and introduce excitement into education, it is hard to see how we can bring about permanent and sustained improvement, hope, and mobility, upward mobility for those communities.
1: Well, I absolutely would agree. I'm a child of educators. Uh, My mother was a public school, a high school teacher for decades. My father worked in uh, public universities his entire career. Um, I, I, um, as an educator myself, certainly believe that any substantive change is going to have to begin with education. Uh, but it's going to have to end at the ballot box. But you're right, it begins with education. The problem is uh, education is a long game, right? It's not something that you're going to grasp uh, immediately, particularly if government has failed you, as you indicated. You know, we live in a country where, you know, you get as good an education and you get as good as health care based on your zip code, based on your income, based on uh, the background of your family, which you really often, as a child in particular, have no role in if you were talking about, you know, childhood education. And so one thing that I think we have to have and what this moment uh, suggest is absolutely necessary. We need to mandate ethnic studies curriculum uh, in public schools throughout the country. We've seen it mandated at the state level in Oregon in California. Uh, efforts made in um, Texas and Arizona and even in Indiana uh, and 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 other places throughout the country. And and yet it hasn't been made it to a national bill at the congressional level. And what what does that mean? It means that everyone who's required to go through high school in this country, if they are not all learning the same things about the contributions of Native Americans, of Jewish Americans, of African Americans, of Latinx Americans, of queer Americans, of disabled Americans, the people who all came to this country and make up what this country is and the beauty and diversity that we are inherent in our um, our racial and ethnic makeup and our, our national pride, then if people don't learn all that same information, then this is why you get the discord we see in our politics and in our discourse today. And so you're right, education can change that, but it requires government also intervening and ensuring that the education everyone receives is equitable.
0: And it's got, it's got to be with education, hasn't it? And it's not just education that sensitizes people, but education that both fulfills them and makes them employable. If they're not employable, the American dream is cut off from, they are cut off from the American dream. They've got to be employable. They've got to have skills that are wanting, that are demanded in a very changing world where skill is primary. And uh, you really can't condemn people to working in fast food restaurants if you want to see uh, social progress, can you?
1: Uh, No, you cannot. I I think that we have an obligation as a society really to ensure that our educational institutions, particularly obviously our public ones, uh, have easy access to everyone. Uh, And by easy, we mean affordable and accessible uh, uh, to all. Um, And this is why you have some differences in various political wins uh, of of this particular election season, where there are uh, some who are arguing for, you know, free college, others for reduced college. But there is a commitment that's being discussed now for really the first time in national politics of guaranteeing Americans a free college education. And that, I think, is a step in the right direction because it suggests that we know from the top down in terms of our leadership in this country, that it is education that has always moved this country forward. But I will say that education does have to connect, as you indicated, to an economic kind of output perhaps in terms of a career, but you can get that same education, uh, whether it be in vocational trades, whether it be in the liberal arts, whether it be in STEM areas, Whatever your subject matter of interest is, uh, if you complete the the terminal degree in that area, you will be employable. And I think it's important that we understand that, and that you know we don't somehow uh, suggest that education is 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 only useful uh, when people can get uh, the kinds of jobs that are, say, more uh, both tech uh, oriented.
0: Rami, you're bothering me in the sense that. I think that you've lost a child if you haven't found the child by age 11. If the child hasn't learned the pleasure of reading, the excitement of knowing, the joy of being a human being, and the sense of possibility in being a human being, by the age of 11, that child is, in many ways, lost. And fixing and making higher education more uh, uh, available doesn't solve that problem great majority of the children we're talking about are never going to see a university. They're never going to be put in the condition of having to find the money to pay for college. They're not going to get that far, but if they haven't been given the tools very early in life, and sometimes those tools are hard to come by if the family situation is not helpful, as yours was, clearly, um, we've got to do something about the schools. And when I say the schools, I mean, the, the schools where people learn to read and
1: write and think. Uh, one of the biggest failures of the civil rights movement was that it largely helped advance uh, otherwise middle-class situated African-Americans further in society while the poor remained poor. Um, and, and and that is that has the same story that we have seen with in some instances of years and years and decades and decades of Black mayoral leadership in major predominantly Black cities, or at least historically Black cities, like uh, places in Gary or Detroit, as, in, as examples, and where I'm from in the Midwest, and uh, where you still see after decades of Black leadership that most of the residents there are still in the quote-unquote underclass. I, I, I certainly, Uh, believe that there is still a solution here. So think about for those individuals who are beyond the school age years, where the government's requirement is no longer there for them to get free education, where they may be working if they are blessed uh, in the careers that, that are, make them busy, but don't give them the time or the resources to take off to further their education, to gain more training, to advance to another career. Well, we can start to do perhaps uh, stopgap measures, kind of like black folks did in developing their own freedom schools in the 1960s, but with today's, of course, uh, um, more 21st century mindset. And also we have to take into account, of course, if any public-private partnership, there's likely gonna be some hint of capitalism there. But let's say we're gonna say develop some type of apps where we uh, hire and employ, or perhaps get professors like myself to volunteer our time to help people understand basics in politics. Like what is the electoral college or who is your state representative? Or why is uh, the general election in November on uh, Tuesday? You know, any of those kinds of unique things that you might have learned and should have learned in school? Or what what is it that uh, Native Americans contributed to this country? Why did white settlers murder 20 million of them? Right. These types of questions can be asked in simple ways and fun kind of schoolhouse rock kind of uh, uh, ditties that can be, I think, attractive to people because you're right, we have an obligation to educate even those who can't afford and even those who will never be able to sit into a a university classroom and all of them have the privilege of education, at least they should here in the United States of America.
0: I think you're right. I do think very strongly myself, Ravi, that we've got to get to the younger children and teach them to read and to find all these things you want them to know find them through reading, through the joy of knowing that they're not alone in life. Thank you for coming on the broadcast. I hope you'll come back.
1: Oh, I'll be honored. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: Great pleasure. I welcome to the broadcast now, Jim Conker, an old time friend of mine, we've known each other a long time. He's a nuclear scientist of great repute, of great excellence, and he has something to tell us that is very exciting in this time of COVID-19. Something that can not remove the threat, but certainly can help save lives in hospitals, as I understand it. Jim, welcome and tell me what is your what is your device here? What is the plan here? Well, thank you so much. It's really nice to be here. Um, we, for...
2: 75 to 80 years, we've known how to use low levels of radiation to treat viral pneumonia, which is the type that COVID 19 causes. Um, And we're all set up for it. We don't need any new training, no new PPE, no new protocols, no new equipment. We do this every day to treat cancer. And if you use levels of radiation that are 100 times less than what we use to treat cancer, that's all you need to treat extreme cases of COVID 19. So what happens in, in, in many cases of COVID-19, when it gets extreme, it's not the virus that kills you. The virus overstimulates your own immune system, and your immune system goes wacko, and it starts to inflame. So it has all these inflammatory effects. The lungs start filling with fluid, you get pneumonia, you can't breathe, go to ventilator, and half the time you die. So again, this is only for the extreme cases where you have what's called a cytokine storm, And cytokine are these little uh, regulatory proteins that tell the immune system what to do. And so sometimes they get out of whack, they tell the immune system to do the wrong things, like start destroying yourself, your own cells. Um, And uh, all the radiation does is repolarize the chemistry of those cells so that instead of pro-inflammatory, they're anti-inflammatory. And within 24 hours, um, you're off of oxygen, you don't need a ventilator, um, it's really quite, quite amazing. The success now, rate in the past has been eighty uh, percent
0: of of cure, right, uh, of uh, ready to leave the hospital, right. Um, now let's let's walk through this. Um, you're sick. You're not feeling well. You go to the hospital. All hospitals have radiation departments. Almost yes. every hospital yes. in the country, i down the end do not um And uh, these radiation departments mostly treat cancer. They don't do anything else very much. Why is it that we haven't seen more development of the uses of radiation in medicine? Well, that that stems from the fear of radiation that came after World
2: War II. So, of course, when we dropped the bombs on Japan. Uh, Nuclear weapons became a very big and scary thing. And the whole purpose of the Cold War was kind of the scary one about nuclear. That was the whole point, scary one about radiation. Uh, It kind of worked, except it kind of lost the subtlety, the subtle differences between weapons and science and and, and medicine. Weapons, yeah. Atomic bomb, bad. Weapons, bad. Uh, Medicine, good. So low levels of radiation that we use Uh, every day for various things, chest x-rays or diagnostics, as as well as others, those are fairly low levels of radiation, and they never cause any problem, because the body has an immune system that can handle low levels of radiation for a long time. I mean, two and a half billion years ago, the eukaryotic cell that we're all made of, uh, different types of those cells, they developed an immune system to handle radiation, because the radiation background Two and a half billion years ago was ten times what it is now. So we're very good at handling low levels of radiation. Now, you mean our bodies, or uh, our yeah, our bodies, right? Just our naturally, natural, just no. naturally. Because there's radiation everywhere. There's radiation. There's uranium in that wall behind you. There's radiation. You know, everywhere. There's potato chips are the most uh, radioactive food. People don't know that. Uh, it's not. I mean, the fat and the salt will kill you. Not not the radiation, but but there's radiation everywhere. So it really depends on the levels, and the level of radiation in order to hurt you has to be quite high, and low levels won't hurt you. Now in cancer treatments, we use it to kill cells, but this treatment isn't to kill the virus, the COVID-19, I mean the, the coronavirus, it's to uh, reorient the immune system back away from overreacting. Now there are, we have various diseases that that, that are in, you know, where your immune system attacks yourself, like rheumatoid arthritis, things like that. I mean, sometimes the immune system gets out of hand uh, and it starts doing more damage than good. So in these COVID-19 cases that are called a cytokine storm where you have to get on a ventilator, that's exactly what's going on. And low levels of radiation are very good for reorienting the immune system and stopping that. So it gives you the patient time to, for its own, for your own innate immune system to take over and battle the, the virus and kill it. And most of the time, it will do that, um, especially if it's given the chance, uh, backed away from pneumonia uh, and and having
0: to be on a ventilator. So let's uh, let's take a hypothetical case study, if such a thing is possible. A patient sick arrives at the hospital, is diagnosed with COVID nineteen. Uh, and it's not a good prognosis. Uh, at the moment, I understand the first thing they do is turn them on their stomach, and then if it's severe, then they may put them on a ventilator and uh, give them various uh, antiviral drugs with more or less effectiveness, none of which is totally effective at all. You want to add a new dimension there. Uh, you want them to be taken into radiology. at right. what point? But uh, as soon as you have trouble breathing okay,
2: before you go on the ventilator, before uh, irreparable damage has been done to the lungs, okay? So, so when you start having shortness of breath, you start having the beginning of pneumonia, 15 minutes in radiology with a half a gray dose, and you're good. And so you, you come back, you, you monitor the patient. Um, most likely, they won't have to go on oxygen again, and they won't have to go on a ventilator. And you just, you know, monitor them for a little while, and then they discharge them. Is there so, any collateral damage? Almost none. I mean, the, the thing about low levels of radiation, even these levels, like a half a grain, is that, and it's directed to the lungs. You're not blasting the whole body. You're just you know, targeting it specifically like we know very well how to do. Um, yeah, the, the, the risks are not measurable.
0: They're vanishingly small. And uh, what hospitals are leading with this? Where is their research, uh, and, um, Where is their application? Right. Emory University, uh, Emory U- U- University Hospital, Loyola U- University Hospital. Uh, um, Emory in, in, in Atlanta. Right. And Loyola and, in, in Illinois. In Illinois. Right. And they already and they, have programs. Uh, Massachusetts uh, General Hospital too. Uh, Massachusetts General as well. And uh, what is being done to tell the the medical community all these thousands of hospitals that are dealing every day overwhelmed with long-stay COVID-19 patients? Well, this is the problem. The, The irrational fear of radiation
2: that came about as a result of the Cold War has really stopped any discussion of using radiation for anything except cancer. Treatment. So this this is why it's very frustrating, and why uh, many of us around the country, researchers, nuclear scientists, radiation oncologists, are struggling to get this this out. Now, there's been some papers published just in the last month or two on this, but you know, scientific papers hard to read, <laughs> hard 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 to get out there to to the decision makers and the hospital administrators and things like that. So um, yeah, it, it's this is terrible because um, pretty much, I mean, I, I have to I have to calculate that 100,000 people of the 136,000 that have died in America did not need to die, and if we don't implement this soon, another 100,000 are going to die that don't need to die. Now, there are other long-term uh, effects from, from, from this coronavirus that are on the, the circulatory system, other issues. That have nothing to do with the cytokine storm because this just treats pneumonia and the cytokine storm okay so this is the, but again most people are dying from
0: that now so and if you treat the inflammation early a lot of this collateral damage yes. will not occur right right now
2: again in the future there's going to be other things i, I it's just horrible just like the spanish flu uh in in the 1918 and 19, we're going to have long-term effects from this coronavirus that we haven't anticipated. But again, right now, when we have this serious crisis um, that's, that people are dying from this particular cytokine storm effect and and the, the pneumonia that comes from it, we can deal with this much better than we are. Uh, and we're all set up for it. It doesn't require anything else. Everyone knows how to do this. Radiolo- radiology departments know exactly what to do.
0: And uh, uh do we have uh, people who are being healed today or cured today or ministered yeah, they, to today? There, is, there
2: are human trials. Everyone wants to do human trials, right? When you do something new, although this isn't new, but okay. Um, and so, so human trials are ongoing. There's been some small ones with five or 10 people, and those have done very, very well. Um, you know, 80% of the people have, have been cured, have been discharged from the hospital. It's It's been pretty good. But this is not a drug. This is not a new drug that we're trying to figure out what side effects there are. Um, so we do human trials over a year or so. This is, we've been doing this for 70 years. There's nothing unknown about this. Um, and yeah, we, you know, COVID-19
0: is new, but this treatment is not. And will this be the beginning of a new interest in Nuclear medicine in bringing uh, physics to the hospital and to the bedside. Yeah, it it
2: should. And again, we've been doing this with cancer for for a long, long time. Um, it, it turns out there there are probably some some positive effects on Alzheimer's using low doses of radiation. Uh, certainly on other inflammatory effects like rheumatoid arthritis and things like that. So. Um, Mainly the Germans have been doing most of this, the rest of the world has not. Uh, after 1950, when we had a lot of antibiotics and antivirals and things like that, we decided, okay, well, those, those are good
0: enough. Um, and we kind of lost track of this, this technique. Well, that's very interesting. And I thank you so much for coming on the broadcast and good luck and come back. Thank you so much. There are many, many medicines, many procedures, thousands of compounds for diseases, that are drifting around, they need to be examined and applied to new diseases, new challenges, and that goes about everything. You don't have to look out of the box always. Sometimes you should just look around inside the box. Take a look, and I'll see you next week, I hope. All the best. Cheers. White House Chronicle is available as a podcast on
1: Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Wherever you listen, we are there.